RPS powered by Seat. Welcome to the weekly review on RPS, the radio show where two grown men and a gifted young mind discuss some of the hottest and most relevant issues in pop culture. Behind the mics, we have the wiser voices of Ben Cardew the third. Hello. Marva Iverdu. Hi. And Rob the Roman manning the controls. That sounds a bit sexist. If Rob were a she, would she be womaning the controls? I wonder. Hmm. Or staffing the controls would be the correct way to say in this day and age. Today, we're going to dedicate the next hour to the concept of world building. What Wagner termed in his native tongue as Gesamtkunstwerk creating music behind a concept or a story and accompanying it with visuals, settings in the physical world, and hopefully with enough inspirational power to transport the listener into higher realms of excitement. Maybe even some tangible tangible objects that heighten the experience. We start off with a clip from our album of the week that's a solid example, as any, of a built world from scratch. Gorillas. building ladies and germs the musical landscape is full of examples some have been inspiring and, is, and are still talked about decades after they were presented for the first time Mar, you have a bit of a confusion with this about what where, where it begins and ends. Yeah, because when we were talking about world building, I was like, yeah, I totally know what we're talking about. I've seen Lemonade um, by Beyonce a thousand times, like the visual thing, the movie music thing, hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And I was like, yeah, that that's world building. She builds this kind of world out of her songs, and and I'm I'm seeing it on my screen, and and that's what we were talking about, right? Then she did it with Black Kiss King, and and there's all these other artists that did that. And I was like, this is what we were talking about, right? But I don't think that's quite what it means, right? Well, I, I don't know exactly what Gesamtkunstwerk means, but my idea of world building is basically those bands, those artists who. Um, well, do that create a world? Basically, to an extent where you can sort of guess, you know, that this uh, this food is very appropriate, or you know, like if, if you think of a band who I think does it very well, like a band uh, like Craftwork. If I was to say to you, um, Crema Catalana, is that Craftwork or not? I don't think so. No, no. that's not that's not Craftwork, obviously. But <laughs> um, uh, Metropolis, the film, is that Craftwork? Yes, exactly. That's that's world building for you. It's a, you can you can just tell it. It can be books and films and things, but it can extend to anything, even even to a pudding. And I think bands that do that well are well being like the Pet Shop Boys. Let me give you another one. Uh, is uh, trifle Pet Shop Boys? Yes, because it's part of British identity. And Pet Shop Boys were very good at customism and and sort of taking uh, icons of British identity and putting it into pop songs. And this is my point. Have they ever talked about Trifle? I don't know. I've never seen them talking about Trifle. But you can sort of say, all right, well, that is Pet Shop Boys. Not because they've created this very vivid world. Now, Beyonce, a visual album in itself is not world building for me. It's a step towards it. But I think Beyonce almost is... 
it's getting to that stage, I think, where she started to, not necessarily through interviews, but through her own sort of aesthetic choices, you can work out, I think, what Beyonce's world is. Um, and I was looking at the lyrics to uh, Black Parade, which I think is my single of the year, if anyone's interested. And basically, she ref- refers to a lot of things which, again, really help to kind of like build that world um, around her. Things like Ankara Dashiki print, um, things like uh, Yemaya. Uh, things like Mansa Musu. She, she's building this this world of things to the extent where, again, I think you you could say this is world world building. Um, to go back to a pudding example, <laughs> is uh, rhubarb crumble? Is that Beyonce? No, no. exactly. You see to- what I mean? It's Pet Shop Boys. It's totally English. Oh, it's totally Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, but it's not Beyonce. At exactly. All. And I mean, this might sound ridiculous, but like uh, another artist I like, like Dua Lipa, right? I wouldn't say is quite there. Maybe she will be. I think she's... Uh, that's what I was thinking. I especially thought about Dua Lipa. I think she's trying to get there because she didn't have a world by herself and that made her, like, blend in with lots of other artists. Uh, I think she's trying to make her own stamp and her own kind of world that you can th- say, this is very Dua Lipa or this is, mm, yeah, very Dua Lipa or nice. something. I think she's trying to get there. In in the case of Beyonce, I think it's she's more of a traditional pop star mm-hmm. in the sense of she takes you know pop stars draw from everywhere from fashion from from his from cultural ideas and she is in her African phase even since the Lion King soundtrack even before that you know she's she's really trying to champion Afrobeat Afrofuturism uh, in a respectful way she's not she's trying to be very careful with not just um, being a bit of a culture vulture with with African heritage but um, I wouldn't consider what she's doing as world building you see um, I read something recently uh, in a a book which I'm reading which I'd like to share with our listeners in Jules Evans book The Art of Losing Control this philosopher writes about the numerous ways humans can reach natural or induced levels of ecstasy right he makes a very good comparison between religion and art as two powerful channels that are made up of elements, ceremonies, crafts, practices, congregations and situations where this can happen. And he ref- he references the great Brian Eno, right, writing this. Uh, this is an excerpt from his book, I read. As with religion, the arts allow for make-believe. Situations of let's pretend in which the artist skillfully weaves a world of imagination and the audience is transported towards it. Both religion and art plant their roots in this activity of make-believe, imagining situations and living them out. Brian Eno has written that imagining is the greatest human achievement. We can imagine worlds that don't exist. We can act out scenes in our minds by imagining them. That is what he refers to as world building and suggests the arts submerge us in alternative worlds so they allow us to play with alternative identities we can leave behind our usual ego patterns see the world through different eyes feel what it would look like as someone else we can liberate ourselves from the status quo by looking at the world through a new lens and we can do so without peril eno states that culture is a place where we can take on psychological risks without the physical punishment, just like in dreams. This, Brian Peters George St. John Le Baptiste de la Salle Eno, is one of the greatest contributors to music in the last two centuries, pioneer of ambient music and sound installations. 
His music and his theories are still resonating today in some of the most forward-thinking sonic, sonic experiments that also transcend into the physical world, which is a little bit like what you were saying about craftwork, uh, right? There's, there's a tangible physical element. There's the robots. You always remember them in, in their red shirts with their black ties, you know, drawing on that kind of um, um, Sovietic kind of aesthetic um, and industrial. And craftwork, uh, like Brian Eno, this all comes from art school educations. As design students, they were all encouraged to think beyond the boundaries and cross the streams, which is one of the best ways for artists to express themselves. And they usually end up world building, right? Eno studied under Roy Ascot. He is recognized by Ars Electronica as the visionary pioneer of media art. One of his students was Pete Townsend of The Who, another band that builds worlds beyond albums like Tommy, The Pinball Wizard, Rock Opera, and even, I'd argue, Quadrophenia could be blamed for making mod culture universal. Well, I don't know. I wasn't alive. At the, I wasn't born yet when Quadrophenia was super popular at the time. But if you think of it, the world of mods, Lambretta scooters, the dress code, the, the activities of dancing to certain styles of music. You know, mods could be considered a religious movement if you start comparing habits and, and their ways of having their ceremony and their beliefs around it. You know, it's not based on a scripture like a Bible, but the records are their Bibles. And uh, just to sum up a little bit of all this, I'm, I'm thinking of just uh, like Brian Eno or Kraftwerk. Other world builders that come to mind are Daft Punk. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, you know, they, 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 first they, 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 they do it through the characters. The robots, right? They have they have stuck to this identity, and you always think of Daft Punk as the robots in their magical pyramid and their electronic music. And even though they created the characters for what was one more time, human after all, no, Discovery, Discovery. <laughs> oh my <laughs> goodness, I'm getting old. Um, uh, that was another example of world building, and it wasn't the robots. That was like another sort of parallel offshoot, but it's it's part of the Daft Punk universe. You know, it's it's science fiction, it's retro. And my favorite world builder right now is Kanye West. Wow, we're back onto Kanye. All right, uh-huh. explain yourself. Explain yourself. Why is he a world builder? Okay, so uh, Kanye West was uh, was at Joe Rogan was sat for three hours with Joe Rogan last weekend, and as you can imagine, he was all over the place. And he said something which is very brilliant, you know, because Kanye West, everyone thinks of him as, as someone who rants. You know, you switch the microphone and he just won't stop talking, and he goes off in so many tangents you can't make sense of what he's trying to say. But uh, he calls it. He ha- he creates symphonies of ideas. You know, it's just like he's tweeting uh, at a hundred miles an hour, at a five hundred miles an hour. And uh, of all the three hours, the world building part that I like of Kanye right now is this whole thing of his relationship with God. And what I found that was tangible, and it's actually a project that could come into fruition because it could be- become something that would be financially sustainable, is this gospel university. He wants to create a gospel university, a place where people go to study the gospel and, and practice the singing. And I don't know how, you know, they'll, they'll develop an educational program around it. But what was a very interesting idea was the concept of building a kind of a stadium for massive uh, thousand people, uh, you know, 60,000 people in unison singing gospel. There are tourists who go to New York and without being religious you will go and attend a, a gospel ceremony uh, a gospel yeah you, you, you will attend the Sunday service and 
it can be such an, an uplifting and, and spiritual experience, even if you don't believe in the Bible, even if you're not Catholic and stuff. So, and, and even watching his Sunday service at Coachella, it was it really was quite uh, jaw-dropping. Uh, well, depends if you're a fan or not. I really mm-hmm. found it amazing. And I thought, wow, he's already tested the waters. I could see him pulling this off. This could become a new kind of way of people congregating and going there. It's a mixture of entertainment, but spirituality at the same time. You don't have to be a convert. It, it, it's inclusive. It's it's quite a close, uh, it's, a, it's quite an approximation to utopia, which is one of the beautiful parts of world building. So following on from that, I wanted to uh, introduce one of my favorite examples, recent examples of world building, which is someone a lot on a sort of, smaller level which i think kind of proves you don't have to be a star to do it. obviously kanye west beyonce two of the world's biggest stars but i was sent an album this week by lawrence leck who uh is a simulation artist who uses computer generated animation video game engines to create films and virtual worlds that play with the language of science fiction music videos and corporate world building and what he's done so basically this is the soundtrack um to his film idol which is a CGI fantasy that tells the story of a fading superstar, Diva, who enlists an aspiring AI songwriter to mount a comeback performance at the 2065 eSports Olympic finale. And so this album is basically... It imagines this world where this futuristic world of 2065, where this imaginary pop star is singing these imaginary pop songs, um, and um, the, the the voice was created with uh, a Vocaloid voice synthesizer. So, as I understand it, you're basically listening to the voice of someone who doesn't exist, and it's just a fabulous example of the way in which he does it. And it all sort of compa- works within its its own internal logic. That when I when I tell you that it is a soundtrack. Uh, uh, for a film about an AI songwriter, etc., etc., esports final. That's exactly what it sounds like, which is pretty unlikely. But it, I just think it's a brilliant example of uh, world building and a fabulous album as well. So the reason we're talking about world building, well, there are many reasons. We've got Gorillaz as our album of the week. But first enough, we're going to be talking about someone who's very close to uh, Radio Primavera Sound's hearts, uh, which is Mary Lawrence, uh, formerly known as Brat Star, uh, who recently released her debut album. Now, let's have a listen just to one of the songs of that. This is Mary Lawrence with Bile. I wake up in the All right, that was Bile by Mary Lawrence from her debut album, Voice Notes. Johan, you're a big fan, right? I mean, she was one of the most unique radio shows. She, she, uh, she created one of the most unique radio shows we've had on RPS since its inception. And it was produced by, um, you know, she'd produce it all in her, in her house, on her computer. She was, she was fantastic at world building using other people's songs, drifting from dark trap to classical music to industrial goth to 90s alt rock. More than a style, it was like entering a mind that looked and felt like a very personal bedroom in the sense that it it, it had an intimate feeling and she wouldn't speak. It was just music. I think she might might have recorded... No, no, I don't think she spoke. No, maybe a little intro sometime. Well, there's a little thing that went... No, 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 just a little thing... Drop that went Brad Star, and that was about it. But I got it. I could immediately sort of uh, feel a lot about the what she was trying to transmit, uh, and it and it was personality. It was a lot of personality coming through these this one hour se- session of of all these musics segued into each other and mixed, and um, 
and and when she dropped this album i was like wow this is such a great continuation from her radio show to what she wants to say musically like i think what she did with the radio show is she created this internal logic so whenever she sent it through and i'd look at the track listing i'd always be like oh, of course that makes sense but i couldn't have told you beforehand like she created this world whereby like playing um blink 182 i'm not sure if she did that but like something like that kind of made sense next to like ark next to hip-hop like she was meant to be a sort of hip-hop dj but this was all over the place it was just absolutely brilliant but it had an internal logic um that very much worked so i was really interested to hear uh the music she came out with and we thought why not we'd ask her a, a few questions um which she responded by voice note should we have a listen yes please so the first question was why uh did she drop the brat star name i got the brat star handle back in 2015 when i was working in corporate law and I really needed an outlet. And in that context, calling myself Bratstar was actually very subversive because I was operating in an extremely oppressive, normative environment in which calling myself Bratstar was totally ridiculous or something. And everything I did under that name was equally kind of frowned upon. But now, five years down the line, things have completely changed. It seems now that having an alias is the opposite of being subversive or rebellious. It's now about hiding behind a persona that reflects what you think you should be because you're scared of being authentic because you're constantly comparing yourself to the people you see online and you just feel saturated with information and with desires and standards that aren't even yours. And I'm that system scares me and I'm not interested in being complicit in it. So that's why I dropped out of it by dropping my handle. Fascinating. So her album is currently available uh, on, on Bandcamp. And one of the things... Uh, and it's called Voice Notes. And it's called Voice Notes. But, uh, Which is why we have an interview on Voice Notes. Isn't it appropriate? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we could have picked up the phone, but we didn't. <laughs> and one of the things that interests me, you know, you have to put a little bit of description. Artists hate describing what they do, generally. Um, and she described it as experimental stadium rock. Uh, did that make sense to you? <laughs> I, I suspect it might have been tongue-in-cheek. Well, we shall see. We asked her, what, why did she call it that, and is it tongue-in-cheek? For Okay. Well, first of all, I don't know what stadium rock actually is. But here's what it is to me. It's the most powerful and unifying music there is. Because anyone can find themselves singing along to it and it's just not about whether you like it or not you can't deny it's larger than lifeness it's bigger than you and so much bigger that it becomes a kind of reference point against which you or even entire generations define themselves Songs like Dream On by Aerosmith or The Edge of Glory by Lady Gaga sound like they've always existed and always will. 
they seem to stir something really deep inside us, almost pre-conscious or something. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't make music like that yet, but I wish I did. So my music is like aspirational experiments in stadium rock. Fascinating. Aerosmith and Lady Gaga. And Lady Gaga. Mm. See, that, that, that's the way she can segue from two diff, totally different artists. I mean, they, they pair very well together. But uh, this is what I mean. And the concept, I, I totally agree with her. Uh, it's been a while now since Stadium Rock was the thing, right? There's no more Queen. There's no more... Uh, well, they're, 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 some of these bands still exist or tour and stuff. But remember, Stadium Rock was so huge in the 80s and in the well, in the 70s as well and the 90s. But it's it's a different thing now. Stadium spectacles are totally different. So the, her idea of it is... Is, is very interesting in this concept of world building because there were codes, there was an aesthetic, there was like a bass player who would walk from side to side and there was long hair and there was, um, you know, now it's all LED screens and dancers and, and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, please, let's continue. So another thing she said was, uh, uh, she's a very, very intelligent person and I, I get the impression... Corporate quite, lawyer, I, I didn't I, know I didn't, this. I didn't know that either, no. Wow. It's not bad. Totally unexpected. You know, the DJ with Young Beef, that's how I saw her, you know, in Primera. I can imagine her in some incredible corporate building in Germany. Uh, signing Kicking out, basically. Kicking yeah. out. If, yeah. I, if I need a corporate lawyer. Oh, yeah. Definitely, Who are you well, going to call? She doesn't do it anymore, but, you know, I'm sure. So, but she says in the description that uh, the album is mixed in the artist's signature awful, crunchy style. And I had to ask her about that. I mean, I've got no idea. So I asked, Mary, what on earth is this signature crunchy style of which you talk okay so hear me out my awful crunchy mixing style is first of all because i'm lazy but actually it's mostly a philosophical choice it seems like the biggest problem right now in the world is that people don't know how they feel or they don't know and they don't know how to know how they feel and so their actions are motivated by things they don't understand and that have power over them and that can lead to a lot of harm to themselves and the people around them so that's why my modest contribution to fixing this problem is making music that is very um spontaneous and authentic and like hopefully straightforward about how i feel or something so so maybe um because i'm so open and unashamed of my feelings it might liberate some people and it might inspire them to uh, examine their own feelings or something like that. And uh, an awful DIY crunchy mixing style is a symbolic translation of this ideal. And so finally, the the thing that really got me thinking about world building was her website is called Marie Laurence World. And, and what a website. Tell us about it, Johan. It is. It's the kind of stuff 
our, our, our old colleague Dixie would love, isn't it? It's it's it looks tacky in a sense of is that uh, f- f- uh, ugliest? Uh, uh, not ugliest as in the ugliest as uh, uh, is ugliism a thing in in Spanish? We say feismo. Uh, I don't think ugliism is a thing, but I know where you're going, right? You know, there's a whole aesthetic to uh, uh, badly des- ba- um, badly designed '90s kind of uh, stoner graphics. I can't even describe it. It's just it's so unique. It's so her. She does it so well. She has really good taste making things look beautifully ugly. And it's her world. It's her world. Yeah. It's not my site. It's not my my page. It's not my album. It's her world. So I asked her about that. Why? How important is world building for you? Yeah, so world building is extremely important to me now, but it wasn't always. I grew up obsessed with finding one thing I was really good at so I would kind of pick a direction and then just go extremely hard in that direction only to realize that I was actually interested in doing other things and not just that one thing it started for me with philosophy and then law and then it was finance and then it was fashion and then it was DJing and then it was producing and then it was songwriting and then drawing and now I'm interested in programming so world building is me accepting that about myself and trying to make the most out of it by like setting myself up so I can do everything or as many things as possible. So like build a platform and code it, but then actually produce content for it, etc. And I am now even going to send out a newsletter. The first one should come out the first week of November. Don't miss out. such a fan uh, I can't wait for an I- the concept of her touring or putting this on a stage or I don't know she'd probably do it totally different yes but Brat Star for life Marie Lawrence for life so obviously if we're talking about world building where there's one album of the week we're going we're to have to do and that is Gorillaz Season Song Machine Season 1 Strange Times wasn't even meant to be an album they were just going to release songs but they, they decided in the end after releasing all of these uh, after releasing all of these songs they were going to put them together uh, in an album and you liked it Johan I uh, I loved it uh, think this is the thing uh, the, the Damon Albarn uh, or or Gorillas. Let's let's pretend that this is a real band of these animated ca- creatures, uh, cartoon characters. Uh, whenever there's a there's a part in a song that you think well, I'm not really interested in this, all of a sudden there'll be a quick change and there'll be a nice little keyboard playful synth or something that's like oh I quite like that sound. And he, he, he's really good. At, they're really good at creating all these little earworms. So this album, once again, is full of nice melancholy. It's that great balance between hip hop and world music and, and electronica and punk. And uh, I'm, 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 I can't stop listening to it. I, I have a lot of time for it. What did you think, Mar? 
I loved it. I didn't pass a single song, and sometimes when I'm listening to an album, and especially if it's that long, it's like, I think an hour and something long. I, when I'm in the middle of one song that I'm not really feeling, I just skip it. And I didn't skip a single song, and I wasn't on the last one. I was looking how many songs do I have left, and I only had that one left. And I was like, oh my god, I that must mean I really enjoyed this album, and I loved every single. I don't know every single collaboration made sense, even though it doesn't actually make sense because there's super weird people featuring on the album and and I really really liked it each song because just like you say when if, at times when you think um it it's starting to get boring this song it, you have a change and then you like it and you're back to being hooked to it I I'm I like it Are you talking about being hooked <laughs> I wonder what it was like how Aries came about Aries a song which features Peter Hook Right so that's that's my that's my standout track because you know when is a song that sounds like new order not a great thing right you know that that he is my ultimate favorite bass player or his the uh, favorite bass sound and I was you know Peter Hook is one of the funniest guys in music and I really and I thought what must that phone call have been like between Damon Albarn and Peter Hook, right? Uh, so, B- Ben, why don't you pr- pretend to be Damon Albarn and I'll pretend got- to be Hooky? All right, I've got that Southern action. Peter, what are you up to? Fuck all, really. Just dropped the kids <laughs> oh, off oh, at the youth centre. The missus asked me to pick up some cucumbers. It's pissing down with rain. As I said, fuck all. <laughs> Do you fancy coming down to London and recording a part for this song I've got? What, a, a bass part? <laughs> no, the Polynesian marimba. Of course, the bass, you plonker. Well, I mean, I'm supposed to referee this foot- football match at my kids. Uh, uh, can't I just record at my house and send you the, the file? I mean, I got my own home studio all kitted out. Barely used the bastard. Spent all this money. It doesn't have to be this week. When's a good date for you to come down? Um, I mean, can't I just... I thought you were a man of the future, embracing technology and its time-serving virtues. Why do I have to get on a train down to London? Hooky, this is for gorillas. I like recording with artists in my studio. That's the whole point of making these records. Otherwise, I wouldn't bother. What are you telling me? You got De La Bloody Soul to come all the way from America to your apartment? Are you saying you got Bobby fucking Womack, may you rest in peace, the poor soul, to leave his house and go to record his bit for gorillas? Yes. All right, all right, all right. Well, will, will you at least pay for my train ticket? Of course I'm paying for your train ticket. First class. <laughs> First class? Blimmin' hell. You've done well for yourself, Dame. I co-founded two of the most seminal bands in the world, and I'm still paying off debts for the Hacienda. Come on, get on the train, my good man. I'll take you out for a curry. So this is me living out my favourite mank accent. Ladies and gentlemen, Johan actually trained in this. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's totally how it happened. I don't have any doubt. That's exactly how it happened. It, it's because I seriously, what I love about these collaborations in any kind of album is imagining how these come to be apart, how, how these come to happen. Obviously, after 20 years, uh, everyone would kill to be on a Gorillaz record because you get to go on tour. Well, not right now, but once the things, if they'd ever get back to normal, you get invited on this amazing tour. You know what a party that must be like in backstage? I remember seeing Gorillaz when it was uh, three, five years ago. I can't remember when they had Bobby Womack was present, De La Soul, uh, uh, Paul Simonon on bass, uh, Clash, Mike, Mick Jones. Mick Jones was playing guitar. Uh, he had every it was like an encyclopedia of of modern music 
of different generations, all on one tour bus, on one plane, at one hotel, all these backing singers, all these violin players. It was... You, you know, it really is a musical celebration. So I love just imagining, you know, every time I'm listening to each of the songs, I'm imagining, wow, that's, you know, Damon has this confidence to just pick up the phone. And it's like, all right, let's see what Elton John's up to. Next week, we'll, we'll, we'll play out what that, <laughs> what that phone call must have gone like. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, Elton, have you finished putting mice up your... No, never mind. Right, sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> Anyway, what what know. else did you think, Ben? Well, I mean, uh, does it stand up to your standard standards? All right, I love Gorillaz for many of the reasons, but this album didn't quite do it for me. I've got to say because one of the things I love about Gorillaz is that they 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 produce these combinations of acts. Like they have people you really wouldn't expect. I was just look at Plastic Beach was it, which was their 2010 album. Um, you had an album. Uh, you had a song like White Flag, which featured Bashi and Kane, O'Grian MCs, with I think the the, the Syrian uh, National Orchestra or something like that. Some a really weird fusion that you wouldn't expect, and it worked absolutely brilliantly. Or they did that song uh, with Sean Ryder, uh, Dare, and they they they. I think that was one of the best things Sean Ryder ever did. And they always had this way, I think, of bringing out the very best in people, kind of bringing magic that's more than than the parts. And I didn't think there was so much magic on this album. I've got to be honest. Like I really like Desolé, which was a sound, yeah. uh, was a song we we opened with. Uh, Aries is another great song. Um, but beyond that, there wasn't one where you're like, oh, for me, there wasn't one where you're like, okay, well, this this is brilliant. This is unique. This is what they've done this year. Also, also, the funny thing is. They were so futuristic when they first came out, Gorillaz. Like, the world has now caught up with them. That's not their fault. But it sort of feels a bit like, I don't know, they're a bit behind the times now, which is a bit unfair. It's very unfair, but it's just because they were once so incredibly futuristic that this is like, oh, it's another Gorillaz album, they're doing the same the same kind of thing. And I thought the production sound a bit standard. I liked it, but I didn't didn't love it. It's because some of the some of the rapping on the album, uh, Schoolboy Q, for instance, it's almost like they're trying to do it for kids because it's a virtual band of cartoon characters. Uh, you know, you, school, when you listen to a Schoolboy Q record, you hear Compton, you hear the streets, and then this one, it's like, okay, I'm gonna rap because Damon's kids are gonna be listening to this, or I don't know. Um, and I agree with you with some of the, the the legendary names. I mean, the Elton John. Song when you watch it on the video with six nine, six black, six black, nine, six black, black, sorry, six black, 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 black. Is your school. Oh, yeah. You just pronounce it black. Yeah, even though oh, the six. six is a B. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you know, because yesterday I was walking with dogs in the park and and I started talking about music with this guy and he's like and, and you know he's into his um, yeah his rap music and stuff. He's like, Ed, but no conoce six black. I'm like, what? Quién es six black? He's like, so you don't know who six black is? So obviously that stuck. It's like, damn it, I'm out of step. You know, this guy's teaching me, and so he got it wrong. Anyway, you no, know, I only know that because uh, when they released all of their various singles before this album, uh, they reached them in, in EPs, which had little spoken word tracks that were on the whole quite annoying, to be honest. But there, there was one with the hilarious gorillas, gorillas characters talking about. Uh, talking about precisely this, that someone tried to call him Six Black, mm. and they're like, no, it's just called Black. And that's how I knew. Uh, I'd well, like to claim it was... Well, that's uh, what the videos are for in the interviews, you know, and encourages us to keep watching them. So I agree with you, Ben. They were futuristic, and for me, their peak moment of um, of, of, of the, the perfectness of this project was Plastic Beach, because the visuals, the concept behind it, you know, they were denouncing all the plastic in the oceans and they brought it into their own world and all those submarines and all those settings that Jamie Hewlett would draw up 
it really did feel uh, a hope. It, it, you couldn't separate the music from the imagery, right? Every time I, th I think of uh, the part of windmill, windmill, on, on that song, can't remember the, the title, windmill song, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. I, I can always see um, Noodle sitting on the edge of that beautiful cliff on that sort of towering kind of uh, building like in the PP Islands, you know? Uh, so it, it, you, you, you listen to music, you, you're transported. Here, this time around, the videos are a bit tacky. They're, they're like, they've, they've shot a lot of it on video and uh, they've even broken the fourth wall. One of the videos for Desolé, in fact, uh, features Damon Albarn with Fat, Fatty, Fat, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. What's her name? Matt, Fat, Fats and Small. <laughs> Fatumata, dear one. Fatumata. Fatumata. Uh, <laughs> Don't be rude about her. She's the best thing on the album. I know she is the best thing. I don't. I don't mean to disrespect. It's you know. I'm. I'm. I'm still not very used to pronouncing a lot of Mali name. Malian names. Uh, Fatumata. Uh, you see her and 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 the Damon is cruising on this uh, boat in. I think it's Lake Como, Lago Como, with 3D or 2D. And it's like, all right. So you're you're doing this thing of mixing live action with the animation, but. It's not as good as the video with Bruce Willis for Stylo. You know, okay, that had a big budget and it was different times. Maybe they're just trying to keep things simpler. I, I get that. But if we are in times of confinement when it is becoming difficult to make, to shoot videos and have a whole crew and stuff, it's precisely the time when Jamie Hewlett should have pulled his bootstraps up and really come up with something, I don't know, a little bit more ambitious to accompany these songs, I think. You know, that's my little critique to Jamie's work. Uh, you know, he cites Moebius as one of his key influences. You know, you look at Moebius comics and, and, and books and graphic novels and it's like, wow, you can spend hours just looking at one frame thinking, look at those beautiful deserts and the costumes and stuff. Why didn't, I don't know, I think with all the technology, animation technology there is nowadays, which is, you know, any kid can, even Andrea Gumis comes up with some incredible... Even? Harsh. <laughs> no, not even, but, but, you know, she's not a professional animator and, and her animations are brilliant. You know, they, they, they put me in her world of Cyber Locutorio. It's like, Jamie, come on, you're being a bit lazy. Whereas Damon went to all the trouble of getting Elton John, getting Peter Hook <laughs> to get the train from Manchester down to London and, <laughs> and, and, and buy him a kebab. <laughs> he got slaves in at the same time with... with um, Slow tie, slow, yeah. slow tie. Now look, the video for, with slow tie and slaves in the studio. Slow tie's reading off the iPhone. All right, this has become a thing. Mar, what do you have to say about all these rappers reading, rapping their lyrics as they read it from their iPhones? What do you think of there this? There are people from their time. They, it's they w will not write it. Um, they have to memorize it, you mean? Yes! <laughs> oh, I thought you meant like Parchment and Quill <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, what's wrong with I that? Mean, look, it's obvious that they read it. It's, it makes sense in my head, but yeah, maybe you should know your own lyrics. I mean, come on, they're performing artists. They're not, you know, I can read a rap song from a from an iPhone, on, you know, but that, <laughs> that would make me just any Tom, Dick and Harry. It's like, come on, look at Jay-Z, the only rapper to rewrite history without a pen. He would, <laughs> he memorizes, he, he composes and memorizes his lyrics on the spot. All of a sudden, slow tie, you're supposed to be like the, God, you know, God's gift to rap music in Britain. And he's like, she's reading it, you know, make the effort, pretend, put a prompter, I don't know. It just, it all felt a little bit half-baked. Now, Mar, you said you didn't like the album cover, which might not seem important. But it in is. Yeah, go on. And since we gave bad criticism to James Blake cover, I think it's fair <laughs> enough to 
say what we think about discovery it's ugly it's straight up just ugly i it doesn't catch your attention when for example the mint important and when i'm listening to my music on my phone i am when i see the cover on the phone on the home screen i i like it it's pleasing to me i like how it looks on my phone and this one it's just not standing out at all it's just there and i think that since they're so big on being visual and images and stuff yeah. and why is this album cover so ugly as i say it's like D Jamie hewlett's taken a holiday uh damon's done all the heavy lifting uh, it's not the worst because it's got that kind of toy piano which is one of damon's sort of favorite instruments really all throughout all, all of gorilla's music and when he's playing live he's usually behind his keyboards But yeah, I don't know. I did like the single for the last song on the album featuring the late, great uh, Afrobeat legend pioneer Tony Allen uh, with Skepta. Uh, it's the image of the characters looking at a photo of Tony mm -hmm. Allen. I thought that was a be very beautiful homage. Tony Allen passed away this year. Um, well, do you, know, do you know one thing I really liked about it was basically because they were doing it as like an episodic series of singles, it enabled them to be very much in, in the times. There wasn't like an over overriding theme, but that it did really reflect the kind of times that we're in because I think you got the impression, or I did anyway, that a lot of things were just sort of written... Um, you know, before they were being released, like Strange Times, the, the song that features Robert Smith, it talks about uh, protest in Belarus and it talks about wearing surgical gloves, which, uh, you know, it's very, very 2020. I was very impressed with the way um, they they could do that. Hmm. But contrasting that, I mean, it's a, like, I love Gorillaz, right? And this is a good album. But there was just a sort of slight air of meh about it. I mean, for example, one of the big things, the whole marketing around this album was the return of the character Murdoch. Right, who apparently wasn't there for the last time. I just didn't care. Yeah, it's like, well, I, so one fictional character that doesn't, you know, wasn't yeah. there last time, and now he's back, but he's fictional. I, d I don't, I don't care. But in, in fact, the 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 previous album, the Now Now, didn't feature any of them at all, didn't they? They didn't really go put out, go out of their way to create a whole story and another world building mm, situation. It was just basically the songs and some some and less collaborators. I mean. Snoop Dogg, George Benson, Jamie Principal, that was basically it, you know, whereas this is a festival, you know, there's got, he's got, oh, I did like the track with um, St. Vincent, because it's like he made, so what I like is Damon is like, okay, it's almost like he's writing songs for these artists, right, but with the guise of these characters, but then he goes and does one for Jonah's policewoman, aka Joan Wasser, who is an incredible incredibly talented musician and performer she she used to be in Rufus Wainwright's um, band on, on touring band then she went out solo and she's incredible but both playing piano playing guitar she plays anything really I think she can even play the violin and he's just got a whispering a little bit on the beginning and it's like why don't you you know she's taken out time of her agenda to be a part of this album you know give her give her more stuff to do right I don't know It does sometimes feel like it's less than the sum of its parts, doesn't it? I think a good album feels like more, a good Gorillaz album feels more, more the sum of its parts. This one doesn't. It's almost like, oh, right, okay, you, 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 got, you, you got Kano, you got Georgia, you got St. Vincent, you got Becky, you got all, all, all of these people. But you kind of expect it to be astounding, and it isn't quite for me. Lee John from Imagination. That was, that was a very good... You see, how does he remember these things? He's like, oh, I'm going to make a slow disco kind of poolside kind of song to wear white trousers to and sip your <laughs> cocktail martini. Who should I go... 
Lee John from Imagination, you know, a legend in his own right. And but an obscure name, you know, not a lot of people remember Imagination. Do you know who Imagination are, Mark? No. It's just an illusion. Could it be a back? You know, it was a it was a hit back in the 70s and it's one of those timeless songs that you play at a wedding and before you know when you've just come from the church and you're about to get drunk with your uncle um <laughs> but uh the robert smith one strange times i felt that robert was f- and i don't want to disrespect one of my idols you know i love robert smith i worship the ground i would jump in front of a bus for robert smith but for these it, it felt it felt very phoned in it's like it, it's almost like a first take like oh let's see what what lyrics i come up with uh, uh, uh and 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 even the video it's it's kind of lazy they just sort of filmed his face and projected it onto the moon it reminded me of the mighty bushes the moon and uh but as soon as damon puts in his flourishes and his keyboards and stuff the keyboards actually reminded me of the the synth in the cure's love song that kind of mm, thick sound so i thought oh that's a nice little that I could imagine Damon sort of coming up with that and say, "Oh, this sounds like love song. It's it's got that texture." Hang on, I'm going to give Robert Smith a phone call. <laughs> Shall we do the Robert Smith phone call? <laughs> Robert, oh, oh hello. <laughs> and they, and I bet they get on like a house on fire, Robert Smith and Damon Albarn, because they you know they both grew up in the kind of suburban parts of outside outer London. They they both have very good relationships with their parents. Uh, yeah, how, how do you know what? <laughs> I've read, the, you know, I've read uh, their bi- the biographies, and I keep up with these kind of. I like these stories, you know, musicians who have fabulous relationships with their parents. <laughs> Robert Smith famously takes his parents with him everywhere uh, when he's on tour and stuff. Well, it, it's happened. Mm-hmm. I, I met them. I didn't meet them. I saw them at Benny Kasim, uh, and he's always, you know, he's. It, Robert Smith is the most unlikely rock star. He's just got a brilliant relationship with his parents. He's still married to his childhood sweetheart since they were teenagers, Mary. Um, and he's, he's, he lives a happy life. And um, can't say the same for Damon Albarn as far as marriages, but um, he's very... He, he, Ro- Damon Albarn always said that his act of rebellion as a teenager was getting on fabulously with his parents who obviously brought him up in a very liberal kind of way and they educated him by playing a lot of african music and what is i don't termed uh, world music so damon arborn has a lot to thank his parents for and i can see how him and robert smith would get on because they and apart from that they're both boozers they're they're two of England's most quintessential boozers. I don't know if Damon still drinks, but uh, they like a pint and a pub, basically. You know, so I can imagine those two just enjoying, you know, not paying too much attention to the business of getting this song done. It's like, just sing anything. You know, you're down here. Let's just go down to the pub. I don't know. So should we have a listen to a song? This is uh, one of our favourites. This is Aries. Aries. Continuing with the theme of world building, uh, sometimes to begin 
building a world, you have to start with the character. Mar, I love what you've brought today. <laughs> It's brilliant. Okay, so now I think I truly understand what world building means. And to me, the, the prime example of world builder mega genius is Ariana Grande. You, you can name every single thing on, on this planet and be this. This is Ariana Grande, this is not Ariana Grande. Go to Starbucks and feel like, oh, I have a Starbucks cup. And now I feel if I have a high ponytail, I'm Ariana Grande. Hang on, hang on, hang on. All right, give it the pudding test. What pudding What is Ariana Grande? She's not a pudding. She's a frappuccino <laughs> from Starbucks uh, Grande, like the grande size. So ah! she... You get it. <laughs> uh, okay. okay. Yeah, but what I mean by this is she has such a steady, studied um, personalities and so many traits that her world is so um, explicit. You you can really tell what what she's doing. And this is, a, I feel, a huge reason why her fan base is so engaging and so uh, loyal to her. Because when you, you have this kind of artist that... It's not only their album, it's not, not only themselves, it's a, a more than this. Um, the, you get a more engaging fan base, basically. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, especially if your audience fans are younger, this engagement can get a little out of hand. And then this is exactly what is happening to Ariana and her... Arianators, um, this is how they call them. Arianators, like yeah. Ariana impersonators. No, like oh. no, like Ariana Grande fans, like One Directioners, but Arianators. But yes, impersonators is what I'm trying to get to because her aesthetic is so her own. Her looks are so her thing, um, and it's it's so something that you can copy so much that. This is what people who really, really admire her are, are doing when these people are always uh, teen teenage girls. Well, maybe there's someone who's 30 and pretending to be Ariana Grande. But um, the case that I'm trying to point and, and maybe do like an uh, analysis on is that how these teenage girls are trying to mimic Ariana Grande to a level that it's getting out of hand and they're losing their own touch, their own self, just to become um, an Ariana copycat. And there are this huge amount of people of Ariana wannabes that point to a, a problem that is in today's society and the pressure that teenage girls especially feel to, to become... You, well, when you're a teenager, we'll... We have all been through this thing that to discover who we are, what what's mm -hmm. our identity, who what's our personality, and it's difficult. You don't, you're just so lost, and and everything so seems so confusing. But especially when you're a girl, you feel all these ways, but also a huge amount of pressure to be um, the right kind of identity, the right kind of pretty, the right kind of. Um, Whatever it's it's you're so confused, but also scared to become a person that it's yeah. not accepted. And then you see Ariana Grande, you love Ariana Grande, and everybody loves Ariana Grande. And Ariana Grande is so herself and has her own style, and everybody loves her for that. So you see her, and you're like, okay, then I'm gonna mirror what she's, this girl is doing, uh -huh. and they do it in a literal sense like they miss the point of being yourself like oh ariana grande so herself is such a specific type of person and and she's successful but they fail to see that as a thing that can be applied to different kind of personalities and just mimic her literally like you can go on tiktok on instagram on mm, 
any platform, any social media platform and look for the hashtag Ariana Grande Lookalike and thousands of videos, pictures, whatever the platform is, and will pop up. And there's these girls that you really cannot tell the difference. They have the makeup perfectly studied, the high ponytail, the outfits, the big sweatshirt, knee-high boots. And it is kind of sad to see how these girls only understand being accepted when copying someone else like, mm. and when mm, becoming Ariana Grande, which is obviously impossible. There's only this Ariana Grande. And even if you try to copy her to perfectly and people confuse you, you're still not going to be Ariana Grande. You will not be more accepted for looking exactly like Ariana Grande. And this is what they, the point they miss, but I, I don't think it's their fault. It's, it's just showing that society is super harsh on these girls that they feel they have to do this to... Yeah, to fit in. Because yeah, yeah. uh, I also sense from the video you shared with us, uh, where this uh, Ar this former Arianator or current, you know, she, I don't, I didn't get if she's currently an Arianator. You know, she did have the high ponytail, but she was speaking like from a distance. But I, I noticed there's a little bit of uh, bullying amongst each other. Exactly. Then because it it's not a minor problem. Like um, everybody, not everybody, but it's it's. Um, so obvious that Ariana is aware of this phenomenon happening and she uh, addressed some of these girls saying, like, quoting, I quote, um, the ponytail TikTok girls who think doing the Cat Valentine, who is a character she played on Nickelodeon, mm -hmm. boys, and that wearing winged eyeliner and a sweatshirt is doing a good impersonation of me because this is how it feels, degrading its entire value, degrading the value of of do it, being the artist you have become. And and then she, um, someone posted, posted a, a video of um, kind of impersonating her and she said to the video on Twitter, this, this ain't it. So the fans who are not <laughs> impersonators but are still really huge fans attack these kind of girls. Like, you have to stop, this is cringy, uh, get a personality, blah, 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 Ariana doesn't like you or whatever. So they get <laughs> bullied. Yeah, they get bullied online. For being and wannabes, then, basically. Yes, for being Ariana wannabes and being lost at life, basically. And then they have to pretend they do not... There's many of these girls who pretend they do not know who Ariana Grande is. I'm like, oh yeah, I heard a few of her songs, but I, I don't really... I'm not really Ariana... Uh, Ariana Nate or... Um, but it, it's obvious that she clearly is copying her, but she has to defend herself, pretending it's a coincidence that she just looks exactly like her. It's just a very messed up thing happening and very sad one. But I know that uh, Ariana also knows that her fans are bullying her other type of fans, these girls that impersonate her. So she has reached out to some of them, I think mainly the the one who's most popular, that, because there's one that has like 2 million followers on TikTok just because being the most look-alike version of Ariana Grande. And, and she reached out to her saying like, oh, that she supported her and that um, she wanted her to feel confident on herself and, and just basically embracing her own personality. Not saying you cannot dress like me, but trying to make her feel more confident because you can tell she is not really comfortable being on hmm. his, her own person. Uh, and yeah, I have to say, I bought tickets to go see Nick Cave this year and it's been postponed until further notice. And I plan on wearing a suit to go and see Nick Cave so they, I, I, I'm, I, I'm 
is that the same? No. Am I trying to be no, no, in a no, cave? No. I, I, I was especially aware <laughs> that I didn't want to say that and feel like, and say that you cannot take inspiration from someone you like and and of course you can if you like Harry Styles you can knit all the sweaters you like colorful sweaters and take inspiration because that's what musicians mostly do they inspire you blah 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 but there's a difference there's a line between being inspired and wearing a suit because you go to the, see him live or just wearing it day to day because you like how it feels and being an impersonator just l like copying her voice hope coping copying her mannerisms Ooh. the ponytail the, the everything everything like there's not a single piece of yourself that is something different from yeah. Ariana Grande. Uh, it obviously helps a lot of people deal with insecurities and stuff. I remember back in the 90s, there in Torremolinos, there used to be so many Jim Morrison impersonators. Guys walking around with the black leather trousers <laughs> with a bottle of whiskey, walking through Calle San Miguel. It was so pathetic. We wanted to slap them. It's like, what do you think you are? You're just like Pedro El Cateto. You think you're like Jim Morrison, some enigmatic singer from a 70s rock band. Uh, and it always, but there are, yeah, I agree. There are ways. I mean, obviously, mm. a, a Savile Row suit feels so good, you know. I, I don't expect people to confuse me with Nick Cave but it, sometimes we look to these pop yeah. stars because they live the ideal life that we think right it's like they're famous they're exactly. successful doing what they love which is singing writing lyrics and, and making music but um, it's a, it's an interesting extension of, of, yeah. of this whole to topic of world building I guess Ben have you tried to walk in <laughs> someone's shadow and bec look like someone when you were a teenager Brett Anderson from Suede of course did you wear the, 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 the sort of belly button showing t-shirts yep. did i wear my sister's cardigans yes i did <laughs> did i raid my granny's out you know wardrobe absolutely i did in yeah. norwich in norwich yeah. did you ever get bullied <laughs> <laughs> I, i don't think i got i got bullied but let's say it didn't quite have the um uh effect it, it i wanted it to have on the uh teenage girls at the local indie disco but you see we would have we would have hung out then because i also went through that sort of androgynous phase of painting putting eyeliner on and wearing those sort of brett anderson style t-shirts thinking well, that girls were going to dig it and would we have hung out or would we have been rivals we would might i have, have been across yeah. the dance floor and gone like, oh my god he's, he's doing my he's doing the sway thing i'm more alienated than him what the, how does he know we would have been like these arianators sort of shading each other because yeah. oh you know i look more like her because yeah. you know Oh, you just put on the cat ears and you think you look like her and stuff. What about you, Mar? Did you when you were a teenager? Who were you? Did you ever sort of? I don't know who I was most inspired by or who I wanted to be the most. But I feel like if I was to be that age, um, either I would be a super Ariana Grande, maybe not impersonator because it takes skills and time to perfect the makeup, the hair, and everything. But maybe I would be drawn to Ariana Grande or maybe because I've seen other people do that as well to Billie Eilish, who is more like, oh, you don't get me, blah, blah, blah. Ah, maybe Avril Lavigne was my, my thing, yeah. So what you would wear baggy clothes? Yeah, I would. Like Avril Lavigne skater girl or Avril Lavigne dancer? Skater girl. I, I would be like, yeah, I want to wear my, my dad's tie just lo loose. <laughs> oh, and, oh. Are there photos of this? <laughs> no, because I, I didn't do that because I, I didn't feel confident enough to be a real loving because it, it takes guts to be a real loving. Do you know, we're going to have to go, but I think we should uh, review the Ariana Grande album next week. What do you reckon? It's Apparently it's out on the 30th. Should we review it? I think we absolutely should. Oh, it's uh, her new album, you mean? Oh, definitely. Apparently so, yeah. yeah. Okay. Should we do that? Fantastic. Yeah. This has been world building. It's been fun. Yeah. yeah. Another episode of the Weekly Review.
Thank you for listening. See you next week. Yeah. But for you